power and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Now in this passage here, we have, we have a picture of heaven. John, in his heavenly vision, as he was taken up to the third heavens, beholds God seated on his throne. And in this vision, God reveals to him the splendor and the majesty of the sun. But what really captures my attention here, and the reason I look at this passage, is because it's talking about who is in heaven singing the praises of God. Verse 11 says, All around the throne are living creatures and elders and many angels, numbering myriads of myriads. The word myriad means 10,000. It's the highest number in the Greek language. 10,000 by 10,000, myriads upon myriads. This is basically saying as many as you could possibly imagine. Like our, the largest number that we have in, in our understanding of English is actually the term Googleplex. It's where we get the word Google from. You, know, you could have this endless and infinite search done on any word. But when we're talking about in the original Greek, this term myriad is the, is the largest number unknown. So myriads upon myriads just simply says there's an infinite number of angels. And, and John, in this vision, beholds, my goodness, there's so many angels. Could you just imagine being surrounded by the heavenly realm, by heavenly creatures who are singing the praises of God? I mean, I've been to some choirs. Right? I've been to Times Square Church, beautiful choir. I've, I went to 10th Presbyterian Church and heard a beautiful choir down there. Um, I've heard some astounding choirs when you have, you know, a hundred people gathered in one place singing, and it's beautiful, it's magnificent. Could you imagine the beauty and splendor of heaven? Oh, man. And this brings us to our Bible study, because there are such things as angels. There are such things as demons, which are fallen angels. And understanding who they are and what their purpose is is important. Because we have... Two extremes. We have A, we have people who worship angels, and this isn't much of an issue in our day. In the early church it was, as we'll see in the book of Colossians. But even in our current day and of ages, people who kind of talk about and think about angels more than they do God, right? You know, they oh my angels watching me. Oh, let me pray to my angel, or they have little figurines, you know, of angels in their house. Where's God in all of this? And so there could be an inordinate attention on angels and and, you know, I, I actually know people who are so uh, obsessed, they think they have visions of angels all the time. On the other point, there's people very uh, um, rabid in their view of demonology. They see demons in everything, everywhere. Oh, I couldn't get a parking space there because the demon of uh, parking spaces got it from me. Or I, 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 got a, I got agita today, I got a little heartburn because the demon of heartburn got me today. And, and, and I've seen, and you, you may think they're being ridiculous. I've actually heard people talk like this. There's whole ministries dedicated called deliverance ministries. Deliverance ministries, basically a, a man or a woman who professes to be an exorcist, and you come to get exercised of all these demons. Well, the reason why you're overweight is because you have a demon of gluttony. Let's knock it out of you. And, you know, they knock you on the floor, and I've been there, and I've done that in my early Christian walk, and I realized it was not what it was. And so the question is then, if demons are real and angels are real, how should we think about them? What does the Bible say about them? Because on the other end of it, spectrum, is, well, they just don't exist. That's fairy tales. Well, they do exist. And we have to have a proper understanding of what angels and demons are. So angels, they're not the precious moments characters, and demons are not little red men with pitchforks and pointy tails. And Satan, who is the chief of fallen angels, is not a god. These are some of the, the bad notions we must dispel. I'm reading my notes. No, I'm reading my notes. Satan is not a god, and I say lowercase g. There's another often misconceived notion about the devil is that the devil is like this equal counterpart to God, like this yin-yang, you know, the... The, the darkness and the light, and that God and the devil are in some cosmic battle as if they're equal forces. No, Satan is a creature. He was created by God himself. 
He was an angel himself, an archangel who fell from grace, who fell from heaven, who fell from glory, and who was the chief rebel and architect of the demon realm, demonic realm. He's God's enemy. But he is not God. He is not omnipotent. That means he's not all-powerful. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. And he's not omnipresent. I want you to think of that. Oftentimes I hear people say, Satan's on my hide. I got Satan attacking me. Well, it could very well be that the forces of Satan, meaning one of his demons is oppressing you or affecting you or using people to attack you. But it's highly unlikely that Satan is personally dealing with you. Why? Quite frankly, none of us are that important. Satan can only be in one place at one time. Satan goes after the big fish. And, 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 I, and, and quite frankly, none of us here are big enough of a fish for him to go after personally. Go ahead, brother. Right, those who represent his, his realm. Yes. They do. Yeah, and, and demons are all over. See, what we got to remember is if we're looking here and there's myriads upon myriads of angels of heaven and chapter 12 of Revelation tells us a third of the angels fell from heaven, then you have myriads upon myriads of demons too. So in the, in the medieval period, Thomas Aquinas and a lot of the medieval theologians would have, often have the debate how many angels can dance on the tip of a needle. Have anybody ever heard of that? It's, uh, and it comes back to the book of Enoch, which is an apocryphal book. Enoch wrote a lot about angels and demons, and the idea was that 10,000 angels could dance on the tip of a needle. This is speculation, but the point of the matter is, is that we're talking about spiritual beings who do not fill space and time like we do. They're incorporeal. Where demons exist and how they exist, we don't know. And at times, in, in our human experience, they manifest themselves, right? We saw that particularly in the Bible when an angel would manifest himself to uh, one of God's people. Notice what the first thing they always say is, fear not. There's a terrifying experience to see an angel. So seeing an angel uh, in, in, in its full scheme or whatever is full form can be a very terrifying experience these are spiritual beings but it's not often that these things are seen for the most part they are unseen right now in this room there can be angels and demons battling over over us here right now we're not even aware of it and so these are the things that we want to get into so the first thing i want to do is look at who are angels because Demons are simply fallen angels. We need to understand what an angel is first. And the Bible uses a lot of different phrases to describe angels. And one of the often uh, uh, referred to phrases in Scripture is the host of heaven or the heavenly host. Um, it's the same phrase used for the stars of the universe as well. So it's a phrase that could be used interchangeably. Much like Lucifer, who is the name of Satan before his fall, also refers to the morning star. Venus. And so in both cases, in the ancient world, the idea is when you looked out at the heavens, the stars, how many people have ever seen the, the sky at night, like deep in the country where there's no lights to obscure the beauty of the heavens? Anybody? How, how many stars do you see? Too many. Well, that, was the, that was the idea in the ancient world, because they didn't have lights like we do. So at night, when you looked up and you saw all the toast. It was metaphoric. This is, this, is, this is what the angels of heaven are like, the host of heaven. They're numerous. They're, they're beyond our comprehension. In some cases, you know, they, the metaphor transposed into the reality. People would say, would actually believe that the stars were angels. In either case, it is a metaphor. We know that, that stars are simply suns of other galaxies, and the universe is tremendous. But they are spiritual creatures, thus they do not possess physical bodies. We cannot see them unless God reveals to them, and at times they do manifest themselves in physical form. So let's, let's look at 2, Corinthians, uh, no, 2 Kings chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 
2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. Now, this is an interesting passage of Scripture. And this, was, um, this was when the king of Syria had surrounded Israel. And Elisha, the prophet, uh, was sent. Listen to this. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning, went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots were all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now remember, Israel is outnumbered here. They're surrounded by the Syrian armies. But what do you mean there's more with us than with them? And look what it says in, in verse uh, 18. And when Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike these... Oh, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Oh, my. Verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open their eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. And he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. I'm going to stop there for a minute. I don't want to get into the whole story. But what was the point? Lord, open their eyes that they may see. There's more with us than with them. And they open their eyes and behold, there's these warriors on chariots all around. Who are they? They're the angels of heaven. God had sent a garrison of angels. Remember the Lord Jesus said that to Pontius Pilate? He says, you know, listen, don't you know I have power to kill you? He says, listen, you have no power whatsoever if I want to, I can call a legion of angels now and destroy you. But it's not the will of the Father. And so we understand that the angels exist in this realm. We don't behold them, but they do God's will. And that brings us to the next point, is, is what, what are the angels' purpose? What are they created for? They are creatures. They are not eternally existent like God. They were created I believe that they were created um, in the portion of Genesis where, where we see between the first day and God said, let there be light, and there was light. I believe in that period of time when uh, God had created the angelic realm. Would you agree with that, Paul? Yeah. Go ahead. Yes, it is. Correct. Absolutely. And that's the first and primary purpose of the creation of the angelic realm is to worship God, to sing his praises. I read from, from chapter 5, 11 of Revelation. Chapter 4, verse 11 of Revelation. What do you see in both instances? You see the angelic realm worshiping God. Here in Job, there are all these instances. When, whenever you see in Isaiah 6 or... Uh, um, you know, when, when Isaiah has the beatific vision of seraphim, what are they doing? They're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. So the first and primary purpose of the angels were created to worship God. Oh, I have a list of them, yeah. And so, and so they're created to worship God. And that, you know, this begs the question, right? And I get it. I don't always feel like singing on a Sunday morning. You ever feel that way? Right? It doesn't always come out of me naturally. Sometimes I, I need a little push. But I got to tell you, that's what heaven's about, singing the praises of God. This idea of, of God's corporate people singing, it's not something man invented. It originates in heaven. God is enthroned on the praise of his people. 
and it, and it, and it's in and 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 heaven is going to be one big worship service, but it'll be perfect and pure. Yeah. And we won't have to learn anything. We'll just know it. I haven't thought about that. We have to learn new songs. I can't see in heaven and say, okay, let's follow me. Praise to the Lord. No, 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 you're saying it wrong. We've got to hit this note. We're going to be in glory. glory. We'll, we'll just be able to belt it out naturally. It'll be amazing. You know, we're still in these bodies of flesh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was beautiful. Of heaven. Yeah. Have you ever been to um, like one of those big conferences, like the Ligonier Conference? Well, I've been to the Ligonier Conference, and let me tell you something. When they worship, there's like five, 6,000 people, and they're singing. It's like exactly what you said. Oh, my goodness. This is, like, is this going to be heaven? And it's just a, it's a, it's a taste. It's a foretaste. I, I think it's so well that you put it that way um, because it's exactly what it is. All right. Otherwise, angels are ministers to God's people. They're his servants. Look at Psalm 34, 7. Can I get somebody to read Psalm 34-7? And um, Frank, you get Psalm 34-7. Marcia, can you read Hebrews 1-14? <laughs> they are, are they're there to serve us. Why don't you think about that for a minute? That's amazing. Go ahead. He, he's, he's our, the angels of God are sent to protect us, to serve us, to minister to us. I mean, that's something to really behold. Um, I remember several years ago, there was a member of our church, he's not with us anymore, but his wife got into a major car accident, like, like the car was wrecked. Like it was in shambles and she didn't get a scratch on her body. And I said, you know, an angel was there overshadowing her, protecting her because that's not normal, right? That happened to me, actually. When I was 17 years old, I was in my foolish days. I was drunk out of my mind, driving at 3 o'clock in the morning, went through a red light, and I crashed through someone's fence into their front porch, wrecked my car. They had to get the jaws of life to open the door and get me out the police at 3 in the morning, and not a scratch on my body. And the cop said, how is this even possible? And God was protecting me even before I was a convert. Before I was even converted, he was protecting me because his hand was on my life. That's the amazing thing about God. Huh? And exactly. So God, God's angels are ministers and servants to his people. Another important aspect of the angelic realm, and it's something we don't really realize, is that angels are instruments of God's judgment. Angels are instruments of God's judgment as well. Uh, look at Revelation 16 for a minute. Revelation 16, 1. And then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. In the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, seven angels with seven planks, all throughout Revelation, angels are not these cute little cherubs. They are fearsome instruments of God's judgment. God uses his angels to pour out his wrath upon the earth. They execute God's wrath. And every time the Lord Jesus talks about his return, right? Matthew 16, Matthew 10, we say, when, when the Son of Man returns with all the heavenly hosts and all the angels of heaven, I want you to think about when Christ returns in judgment, he's returning with the angels who will execute judgment with him. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's so many examples of it in the, in the, in the Old Testament. Um, and, and, and we can look at various uh, um, aspects. But even what we looked at in 2 Kings 6. These were, these were angels sent to bring judgment on the Syrians. But more importantly, messenger, angels are messengers. The actual word angelos in Greek means messenger, angelos. Um, and what we see there is particular angels like Gabriel, for instance, is a divine messenger. Gabriel brought messages to Daniel the prophet. He brought visions to uh, Daniel the prophet. And he was the one who announced the birth of Christ to, to Mary and to Joseph. And so angels also are instruments or messengers of God to bring divine messages. All right, any questions at this point? Go ahead. Yeah, show hospitality to people because you might be entertaining angels unawares. And that's, that goes back to like, you know, Genesis 17. Right? In Genesis 17, when Abraham is with Sarah, all of a sudden, three men appear to them. Who are these three men? Well, it was the Lord and two angels. And, then, and, and we know that because it, it reveals it to us. So the Lord appeared pre-incarnate. Christ appeared in his pre-incarnate form as a man. And then two angels appeared as men with him. The Lord stayed and spoke with Abraham as he pleaded with the Lord, you know, if there's 50 righteous in, in Sodom, will you spare it? But where did the two angels go? To Sodom. They were instruments of judgment too. God sent the two angels to Sodom to, be, to bring judgment upon that city, but more importantly, and also to bring the message to Lot and his family, it's time to get out. We did that study not too long ago. They were so merciful, they literally dragged they dragged Lot out of the city. He was lingering. Go ahead. Thank you. That basically means you don't know. Sometimes you're showing kindness or hospitality to a stranger. It could be an angel from God. And we shouldn't go around thinking, is this person an angel or that person an angel? But, you know, you don't know. You just don't know sometimes. And so the, the, the point of this is be hospitable at all times. Just because someone appears a certain way doesn't mean they're not from God. I'm going to get into that in a little bit with the demonology. But I want to finish up on angels. A few things to note. There's rank and order. The Bible gives us different ranks and orders of angels. There's the cherubim. There's the seraphim. And there's the four living creatures we see in Revelation. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us much about other than we know that the cherubim are the creatures closest to God. The seraphim are either are interchangeable with Cherubim, but they're described in Isaiah 6 as having two hands, two wings, no, two, two wings to fly, two wings to cover their feet, and two wings to cover their hands. They're six-winged angels. Um, and then, of course, there's the four living creatures that surround the throne of God. Most think that those are the cherubim as well. We know that a cherubim was sent to the Garden of Eden to guard the entrance to the garden that Adam and Eve, when they were cast out, were no longer allowed. We know the Bible speaks about archangels. And again, this, this brings from Jewish tradition, particularly from the Apocrypha, the book of uh, Enoch. And um, it's interesting because Anthony was talking and referring to that in Jude. Jude actually makes reference to the book of Enoch and the Apocrypha and talks about angels a little. So it's interesting that this kind of went hand in hand. And within the archangels, at least according to, um, according to um, Enoch, there were four archangels. There was Michael, who we know in the Bible, Gabriel, uh, Raphael, and Lucifer. And uh, Lucifer, we all know, turns into Satan. He's the, he falls from grace. And then there's the other question. What about guardian angels, right? Do we all have guardian angels? Um, Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. 
The Lord talks about the little ones, don't bring harm to the little ones, for their angels watch over them at all times. And so the question is the possessive pronoun there. Does that mean that we all have this, our own protective angel or guardian angel that looks over us? I don't know. I think it's stretching the, the meaning of it too much. There are some scholars who say yes, and there are some scholars who say no. I'm of the campuses. I don't know. I, don't, I think to take one word as a possessive pronoun there and say that means we all have an archangel is stretching the scripture. But I also am not going to say it doesn't mean. Go ahead, Pastor. Um, and so with that, you know, we do know this is that it falls in line with what we were told earlier, and that is that angels were sent to minister to God's people. Have you ever felt that you've had an angel like protecting you in your life or ministering to you at any time? Has, have you ever had any experience like that? Anyone? Michelle? But just the sense of... Amen. And sometimes those could be the angels unawares, right? <laughs> Anyone else have any anything they'd like to share? Any personal experience? Go ahead, Chris. No, Chris, Chris, you had your hand up first. Sister? Oh, wow. My pressure would go up too. <laughs> Unscathed. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, moving on about angels. Something I think important also to realize is that, that um, we are warned that even if an angel were to bring us a message different than the gospel we've heard, let them be accursed, right? Galatians 2, 1, 9 says, if anyone brings you a message other than the message you've heard from us, even if it's an angel from heaven, let that one be accursed. I bring that up only because... There are people, there are major religions in the world today that started from angelic visions, right? Islam, how did Islam start? Well, Muhammad, as a 14-year-old boy, he was a thief, went in a cave and in, in some trance, behold, the angel Gabriel 
And the angel Gabriel was the one who told him to start this Islamic religion to purify the people of God. Now, clearly, Gabriel did not speak to Muhammad. There is nothing about the Islamic religion that reflects anything of who we know as the biblical God, Yahweh. It is a corrupt religion. It's a wicked religion. It's a demonic religion. Another false religion was started by an angelic vision. That's the Mormons, the Church of Latter-day Saints. Right? When, uh, when, when we know that in, 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 what, 19th century New York, who was it that had the vision? Um, Joseph Smith. He was, a, he was a salesman from New York, by the way. All good things come out of New York, don't they? And uh, he was in New York, and, and he claims to have dug up some golden tablets from the angel Moroni. And these golden tablets contained revelation that were hidden from the first century that Jesus Christ, the claim is that Jesus Christ came to North America and buried these gold tablets upstate New York. I mean, come on. I mean, obviously, I personally think Joseph Smith was, was, was a phony, he was a liar. I think he, he was a snake oil salesman. But let's just say he actually did see the angel and this was real. What do we know about this at this point? These are not angels from heaven. Because it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that Satan could appear as an angel of light. So we have to be careful, don't we? If you have some vision of some beautiful angel in white with gold and, and, and glowing around, and they tell you something that's contrary to the word of God, should you believe that angel? Never. Let him be accursed. But that can't be a devil. The devil is red with pointy horns and a tail. No. Scripture says that that's Satan. Any angel, any being that contradicts the word of God is not from God, but it's from Satan. And that's why we have to be discerning. I think that this is so important because the greatest sphere, as Brother Anthony was talking about today, where the devil does his most damage is in doctrine. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 11 for a moment. I want to read that passage in its fullness. The greatest work of Satan is within the church. I thought, Anthony, you really hit, hit hammered that home well. Look at verse 3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you've already accepted, you put up with it readily. Enough indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge indeed in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit in sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached the God's gospel to free of charge. I have robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. When I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need, and so I refrained and will refrain from burning you in any way. In the truth of Christ in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because do I love you? God knows I do. And what am I doing? I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they have worked on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. For no wonder, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Here's the problem. Corinth was being bombarded with false preachers. They claimed to be superior to Paul. They were preaching another Jesus. They were preaching another gospel. 
They were preaching the gospel. They, no, they were preaching a gospel. They were preaching a Jesus, but it is not the Jesus in the gospel of the Bible. They looked like Christians. They acted like Christians, but they were not Christians. It's very deceitful. Satan is very crafty. Television is filled with false preachers who sound really good. And they'll use biblical terms. And they'll use biblical phrases. But there's always an element of falsehood blended in to pervert and to distort the way of truth. And if Satan can get you like that, you're lost. That's why you have to really be a student of the word. Brother Anthony was saying it, you know, be like a good Berean, study the word, and I'm going to correct you. You said, don't question me. Do question me. I invite it. If I'm wrong about something, tell me. And I'll, if I'm wrong and could be proven I'm wrong, then praise God, you know? Not to argue for argument's sake, but I'm, I'm fallible. I'm a human being. I'm not infallible. No human being's infallible. The Pope is not infallible. The only one infallible is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only truth that is infallible is the word of God. Our interpretations are always going to have some form of error in it. Because we're not perfect. We try to get as close as we can, but because of our human limitations, because of our own uh, um, sinfulness, there's always going to be an element that's not clear or not perfect. Well, the Pope is a blasphemer. He's an antichrist. I mean, you know, when we get down to it, the, the Pope is a blasphemer. He calls himself the Holy Father. That's blasphemy right there. The Vicar of Christ. That's blasphemy right there. Uh, he claims to be have the authority to forgive sins. That's blasphemy right there. So, I mean, he's a blasphemous being. Any man who fills the office of the, the, the Pope, the papacy, is a blasphemer. They're an antichrist. That's why the reformers were so strict about that. You know, I don't believe that the Pope is the Antichrist. Had I lived in the 15th century, I might have thought so, only because, you know, the Pope was, was the biggest political figure in the world. You lived in Europe during the Reformation. Who was more powerful than the Pope? No one. He was pretty much the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. And if you were going to go to jail, it was because it was on the Pope's orders. So it fit the description in that time period of Antichrist, but even till today, he is an, he's a little Antichrist, but he's an Antichrist. Yeah. I mean, the fact that people bow down to him and kiss his, that's, that's sin, that's idolatry. Who, who do we bow down to? We bow down to Christ and Christ alone. You know, I grew up a Catholic, so, you know, this, this, this was, I grew up with this religion and when I, God delivered me from that, I got saved at the age of 19 years old. My eyes were open. I'm like, oh my gosh, all this stuff that I believe in my whole life is, is horrible. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting because I went to Catholic school. I went to Ford and Prep. You know what the Catholics do? They take the Ten Commandments and they, they, they remold it. They strike out the Second Commandment altogether. And then what they do is they take the Tenth Commandment and double it for nine and ten. And, and it's, it's, it's remarkable that they literally change the word of God because they know that the second commandment basically exposes all their idolatry. Going to any kind, I mean, that was the first thing I realized when I got, became a convert. I read the Bible. Uh, wait a minute. I never saw that before. Thou shalt not make any graven image. Wait a minute. All around, the, my, at least the church I went to had graven images everywhere from top to bottom. And people used to kiss the statue and it would literally wear, you know, how disgusting is that? Imagine like, like how, how we thought years ago we would kiss the statue over and over like a whole church. It's idolatry. It's antichrist. And that brings me to, you know, this next subject. We talk about angels. We're just scratching the surface on this topic. Of course, you can go much deeper. But now we talk about angels because we talk demons. Because when we talk about demons, these are fallen angels. And these are angels who are not only God's enemies, but our enemies. And they're very real. And they're out there to hurt us. The whole purpose of angels is to glorify God and do his bidding. The whole purpose of demons is to hinder the work of God and to destroy the work of God. That's the work of demons, to hinder the work of God, destroy the work of God. 
And I can tell you this, when you're a pastor, you feel the presence of demons a lot more because demons want to take you out when you're a pastor. There's always demons trying to hinder the work of God. When you're a worship leader, you're going to have demonic oppression because you're going to, demons want to hinder the work of God. When you're a deacon or any officer, the demonic presence is real because it wants to hinder, they want to hinder the work of God. When people want to go into the ministry, you've got to realize, you get into the ministry, you're, going to, you're the target now. There's a big, you know, you go into countries like Africa, right, where, where Christians are persecuted and Nigerian places like that. When the Fulani herdsmen walk into a church with machine guns, who's the first one they go for? The pastor. They kill him first before everybody. Why? He's the leader. He's, they're the ones they drag off and, and torture and kill. They, they don't go for the lowly members. They go for the pastors first. All these countries that you read the stories, it's the pastors they arrest, they drag, and they beat, and they kill. So the demons know where to go first. Revelation 12. Turn me to Revelation 12. Verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down. That great dragon was thrown down. That ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power in the kingdom of our God the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And so there's a picture here. There's two things going on. First, it's giving us a picture of the original fall of Satan. Ezekiel 28 gives us a good picture of this. Turn me in your Bibles to Ezekiel 28. If you're in your pew Bibles, turn to page 715. Starting in verse 12, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and craft in gold were the settings of your engravings. And on that day you were created, they were prepared. And you were anointed guardian cherub. I placed you there in the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day of you were created until righteousness, unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst. You sinned. When I cast you out as a profane thing from the mountain of God, I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. And then turn to Isaiah 14. Verses 12 through 15. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, or Lucifer in the older translations. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit, and those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Now, both of these passages in the Old Testament are in reference to ancient kingdoms. But like the Old Testament does oftentimes, there is metaphorically speaking also of other spiritual realities. And in both these ex- cases, there is reference being made to Satan, who is the power behind these pagan nations, these foreign nations. These nations which are secular and worship idols were under the influence and power of Satan. And so, and so the prophet, through the Spirit of God, directs us to the power and force behind these nations, who was Satan himself. And who was Satan? He was once an angel in heaven. He was once 
a cherub with great beauty. We read Ezekiel 20, he was a minister of music. But corruption was found in him. He exalted himself against God. I will, I will, I will. It was the exaltion of self-will. Self -will. He became proud. He became boastful. He thought that he was better than God. And he led a third of the angels in rebellion against God. And he and the third of the angels were cast out of heaven by Michael. And so Satan is a fallen angel. And demons are fallen angels. They rebelled against God. They, they didn't stay in their place. And therefore, some are consigned to eternal darkness and some are here on the earth. There's two categories. Anthony spoke today in Jude 1.6, there are some demons who are already locked or bound in darkness with everlasting chains. All right? It says that they were there because they left their place. But also we're told that in Ephesians 6.12, there are spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. These demons exist here in the earthly territory. They, they exist in this realm. And they are influencing and working all around us to do evil. Doctrine is one of the key categories. Look in your Bibles in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Because Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies, right? What did Satan do from the very beginning? The first thing he did to Adam and Eve was lie about God. He blasphemed. He's the king, chief blasphemer. Did God really say? The goal of Satan is to lie about God and to twist his word and make lies about him and make us believe that something that's not true. He's a deceiver. And so therefore, false doctrine is the perpetuation of lying about God. It's twisting the truth. Listen to what it says here. The time is coming, 2 Timothy 4, 3. When people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As far as you, through the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, people will continue to follow these things. I believe the other verse I was, I was looking at, First Timothy 4, which simply says the same thing. The Spirit expressly says in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to what? Deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. False doctrine is the teaching of demons. So Jehovah's Witnesses, what is that? The teachings of demons. Mormons, teachings of demons. Word, faith, prosperity, gospel, teachings of demons. Roman Catholicism, teaching of demons. These are demonic religions. There, I said it. That's offensive in today's culture, but it's the truth. They're perversions of God's word. They're distortions. They're lies. They're the doctrines of demons. I'm not going to sit around and say, yeah, we all believe in God. We just, no, we don't. You believe in a different God. It's a different gospel, a different Jesus. You're believing a lie. That's how Satan does his work. First and foremost. And he also does this even through lying signs and wonders. You ever wonder sometimes, like, you see miraculous things happen in Catholic religion, right? People go to Lourdes or... Magigoria in Portugal, these statues, and they pray to Mary, and all of a sudden their cancer is healed. And how do you explain that, Bob? Someone said to me, simple, lying signs and wonders. The Bible says that these things can happen. Remember, Satan is still powerful. Satan is not as powerful as God, but he's more powerful than we are. And the forces of hell are more powerful than they are. And if they could produce lying signs and wonders, right? when Moses turned the Nile into blood, what did Janice and Jambres do? Well, they got water and he turned it to blood too. They replicated it. Look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and what? False signs and wonders. With all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. I believe that in the end times when the final Antichrist appears on the earth, he's going to perform signs and miracles and people will be like, whoa, this has got to be the Messiah. This is the Son of God. Let's follow him. 
And he's going to do astonishing miracles. People are going to be misled by that. And all those who don't know Christ will follow right over the cliff. But we who have the Spirit of God are going to, no, 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 that's not from God. I don't care what this guy's doing. It's magic, it's hocus pocus, it's false signs and wonders. Demons also do destructive work on human beings because human beings are made in the image of God. One of the things that demons do is they possess human beings. We read about demon possession in the Gospels. The most demonic activity that ever took place in history was what? In the public ministry of Christ Jesus. It's as if all the hordes of hell came out. I mean, think about it. You don't read about demonic possession at all in the Old Testament. Very rarely. You get to the New Testament and it's like on every page. Every, every other chapter, the Lord is encountering a demon-possessed man. In Acts chapter 16, Paul is encountering a demon-possessed woman. Why? It's because Satan knows what's going on. It's all the forces of hell are coming out to fight. But know this. I want you to know this. Demons cannot possess you if you're a Christian. If the Holy Spirit has filled you, and God has put his seal on you, you belong to Christ. No demon can possess a Christian. There are many Christians who think that you could be possessed as a Christian. That is so wrong. It's so unbiblical. The only people that evil spirits can possess are people that are unclean and empty vessels. People that don't have God in their lives. People that are reckless and sinful. Go ahead, brother. If you're, if you're a believer and you have the Spirit of God, even if you've fallen backslidden, you still belong to God. A demon can't fill you. Right? There can only be one master of the house. Christ has taken possession of us. He owns us body and soul. And the Spirit has filled us. We could re- rebel against the Spirit and go into a season where we're not doing well spiritually. Demons may afflict us from without, but you cannot be filled with a demon. Greater is he that is in you than he of the world. The Spirit of God is not going to share this house with an evil spirit. For the evil spirit to fill us, the Holy Spirit would have to leave us. And God has promised that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of greater things to come. God is not going to abandon his sheep. Now, could there be people who think they're Christians and they never were saved to begin with? Yeah. In fact, the Lord talks about people who are false converts. He talks about the person who goes and gets his life cleaned up, right? And the demon leaves. And then he brings seven spirits more wicked than himself. And the latter state is worse than the first. That's a person who may have a religious reform. They may go to church and get their lives cleaned up and do well, but then they fall away and then they're worse than they were before they became a Christian. I've actually seen that. I've seen that, where the latter state is worse than the first. That person never knew Christ to begin with. Right. Yeah. It, it Second Peter. Second Peter two twenty. You know, it's like a dog returning to his vomit or a pig to the to the to the to the to the mire. Right. The latter state. It's better you never knew the way of truth than to know it and turn from it. And so this is speaking of an unbeliever. And I believe it's the same thing what Jesus is saying about the man who takes seven spirits, unclean spirits. Matthew 10, 1, that's in. Um, demons are described in the Bible as unclean spirits, evil spirits, lying spirits. And they all do the same thing. They are emissaries of Satan to undo the work of God. Now, Jesus demonstrated his power over and over again and that he cleansed those who were demon-possessed. He drove the demons out of them. Notice, though, the demons all professed that he was the Son of God. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Matthew 8, 16, Luke eleven twenty. They knew that he was the Son of God. They knew that he was Christ. But that wasn't saving faith, right? What does James says? Even the demons shudder and believe God is one. That doesn't save someone. Faith without works is dead. 
True faith, saving faith, is faith that produces good works wrought in the Spirit. There are a lot of people who say, confess Jesus as Lord, but they don't have the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of the devil in you. These false teachers, a lot of them say Jesus is Lord, and they're all wicked. They're all demonic. Creflo Dollar, I don't know why, he just always comes to me to mind as the worst of them all. The reason why I say that anybody that could change, his name is Michael Smith. So anyone who could change his name to Creflo Dollar and, and have the audacity to actually go out there and speak and not have any shame, and this guy's scandalous in my opinion. He's scandalous. You were saying about that story? <laughs> it's... um. We had a couple, the Tracys, years ago. The Trace, Owen and Denise, they moved down to Georgia temporarily. They went to Creflo Dollar's church one Sunday just to see what was going on. And they said, everybody has a beat-up old car in the parking lot. Creflo Dollar pulls up in a Bentley. <laughs> the guy's name is Dollar. I mean, kind of figure it out, you know. He's exploiting you. <laughs> but, you know, people, here's the one thing I've learned. You tell a lie. People will run with it. They'll believe it. If I got up here and started telling lies, this church would be bursting at the seams. Preach the truth, people run away. People love the lie more than they love truth. It goes back to, you know, John chapter 3. People love darkness rather than light. It's just the way of the world. And so for me, whenever I see something, whenever I see a movement that's popular, like a Creflo dollar, I'm immediately suspect. I mean, you should be suspect of Kenneth Copeland when he goes like this. I don't worship God like this, but I worship him like this so I could show my diamonds. Bling, bling, this is what the Lord has done for me. I saw that on TV once. This guy, this guy's pathetic. Who could believe him? It's the work of demons. I'm running short on time, so I'm just going to kind of get through the end of this. Um... Most, the most important thing we can know, there's two other aspects of demons I want to talk about. is demons' influence over state governments. You read Daniel chapter 10, and you read about the prince of Persia, where Gabriel was resisting and fighting the prince of Persia. What does that mean? Well, the word prince, principalities, authorities, those are words used in, in, in biblical language to describe demonic entities. And I do believe that based on Daniel chapter 10, that there are demonic forces behind state governments, particularly antichrist state governments. And I'm seeing it more and more in our own country. When you look at the things that are happening in our government today, you have to think to yourself, there's demonic forces at work. I mean, seriously. And we were just talking about this downstairs and, you know, the minister of the state's job is to reward good and punish evil, right? And we're seeing more and more in a state where you punish the good and reward the evil. The criminals commit crimes, they get arrested, and they get an appearance ticket, and they're let loose, right, Amari? Over and over and over and over again. They rob, and they beat people up, and they steal, and they, they get away with it murder. I was watching this video of the gangs in New York City on dirt bikes and ATVs terrorizing neighborhoods. Nothing could be done to stop them. The cops are can't, they can't do it. Can't, no one can stop the criminals. But if you defend yourself and try, the police can't protect you, but if you try to protect yourself and let's say one of these guys comes at you and you stab him or beat him up or shoot him or something to protect your life, you'll go to jail and make a public example of you. Am I the good guy or am I the victim? What's wrong with society? That's demonic. Anyone that could call evil good and good evil is demonic. When we have state legislatures telling you that your kids could decide to get a sex change operation at 15 and you, the parents, have no right to, to say anything? Is that not demonic? Is that not demonic? Is it not demonic that we, we say that marriage, which God says is between one man and one woman, could be between one man and one man, or one woman and one woman, and we, well, the state says it's okay? Is that a legitimate marriage in the eyes of God? Of course not. Is that not demonic?
the, um, the woman who just ran for governor, Stacey Abrams. She said, I thank God for abortion. I think, could you imagine saying anything so sick? The, the governor of California, Newsom, he, he took scripture. He took the word of God and, and used the word of God to glorify abortion. And I'm going to end with this because time is, time is running out. Go on Grace to Use website or Google John MacArthur's letter to Governor Newsom. John MacArthur pastors a church in California. He was so irate that the governor dared to use the scripture to justify abortion. He wrote an open letter and posted it in the newspaper, I believe, to the governor, basically saying, you're a blasphemer. You've twisted God's word. And he, he, he wasn't, but he didn't attack him. He says, listen, I care for you. You need to repent of your sin, turn to Jesus Christ. He actually called him to repentance and pointed him to Christ the Savior. But the bottom line is when Newsom does something like that, that's demonic. When Russia is, is brutally murdering their own soldiers and the Ukrainians, that's demonic. When you have state-sponsored uh, uh, terrorism in places like North Korea, that's demonic. There's demonic forces at work in state governments. That's why we need to pray. The Bible says pray for everyone in high places, for kings and those in authority, because without the prayers of the righteous, the men and women in government will fall prey to demonic influence. There's so much more I could say on this topic, but let me just leave it this way. Demons are real. We should be aware of it. But remember, demons are also def defeated. Satan is defeated. The demon has no power over you. Satan is a dog on a leash. Remember, it was Satan who went to God and said, what about your servant Job? God says, go ahead, tempt them. It was God who granted them the permission. Satan can't do anything that God doesn't permit him to do. That could either be comforting or distressing. <laughs> I look at it. <laughs> but it's a reminder that Satan is not omnipotent. And we have the power, resist Satan, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, the Bible says. And I want you to know this because we don't have to get into this deliverance ministry. Oh, I rebuke you. You know, the Lord rebuke you, like Anthony was preaching from Jude. These people out there doing deliverance ministry, they're playing with fire. They don't know what they're messing around with. You want problems with demons? I'll give you three quick ways to do it. The occult. I went into Barnes Noble yesterday. It was sick. Right on the, the centerpiece in Barnes Noble, witchcraft, how to be a modern witch, spells and incantations, tarot cards, Ouija boards. What the? I couldn't believe. What am I walking into a wizard store or the bookstore? I thought I was in it. And I'm saying, but you know, this is, this is how it starts. And the young people go to that. Go mess with the occult. One-way ticket to demon, demon. You're just opening up the door for demons in your, your life. Secondly, extreme sin. When people plunge really deep into sin, they open themselves up to demonic influence. And thirdly, when you start thinking about demons all the time and the devil's got me here and the devil's got me there and I rebuke you, Satan, and I rebuke you, devil of the parking spot, and I rebuke you, devil of gluttony, and I rebuke you, devil of this, and you... You're living your life like that, you're giving the devil more prominence in your life than God. You've got it all mixed up. I'm Sister Marcia, Brother Frank, and then we're going to wrap up. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Yeah. Resist the devil. Yep. Yeah. Right. No, I agree. My old church before I became a Baptist was Pentecostal. We used to sing this song. Satan's under my feet. And the past used to make us jump up and down. 
And it was just, and we all did it like, you know, clone, oh yeah, just under my feet. And we would all do it. But it was ridiculous, you know? Amen. Yeah. Lord, the demons bow before us. Don't rejoice in that. Be thankful your name is written in the book of heaven. And that's what it's about. And so, you know, Satan has defeated Satan. Satan has been defeated by the Lord. He, the, strong, the strong man has been bound. And therefore, we have to realize that we don't have to fear the devil. We don't have to fear him. Satan may buffet us, and God, and God will allow Satan to buffet us at times. But it's to strengthen our faith. And God will never give us more than we can handle. But just know that these things are real. But we're not to focus on them, we're to focus on the Lord. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, bless your holy name, Lord. Lord, you are sovereign and you are good to us. Help us to focus more on you. I pray, Lord, that although these forces are real, that we would not put our attention there but on you, O Lord. We pray, Father God, that you would bind the forces of darkness which would seek to oppose you and hurt our church. We ask that you would do this for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.